Good morning. How many of you have been on a big road trip in a big city that you're not familiar with and you're looking for the exit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, it's easier now with GPS, right? Because the little voice says, in two miles, turn right on exit 14. And as you get closer, in one mile, to right? And then as you get really close, in two inches, turn right! You know, the whole thing. And then if you miss it, it's like, make a U-turn and come back, you idiot, right? And make a legal U-turn, yes, right. I was thinking about this, and back before the days of GPS, I was with a whole van full of kids going down to a mission trip in Tijuana, traveling through L.A., seven lanes wide, right in the middle of L.A. Everybody's going 150 miles an hour. You know L.A., about that far from each other's bumper. And, you know, no GPS. We had that thing that folds out. Remember what that's called? The map, you know? And person, it wasn't Dina, just to be fair, in the right seat, trying to tell me what to do. What? What? And the cars are honking, and the music's on, and the kids are hanging out the windows, and we missed the exit. And, uh, you know, pretty soon I start to see signs for San Diego. Not good. Um, but today I want to talk about a life in the spiritual fast lane. It's uh, a hazard for us in the 21st century. And I want to talk about the danger of missing the exit marked salvation. Because you can miss it. And it's easy to do. When I graduated from high school, the year I graduated from high school, ACDC came out with their album Highway to Hell. And uh, I just want to read the lyrics. Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Asking nothing, leave to be. Taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing I'd rather do. Going down, party time, my friends are going to be there too. I'm on a highway to hell. I'm on the highway to hell. Highway to hell, I'm on the highway to hell. No stop signs, no speed limit. Nobody's going to slow me down like a wheel going to spin it. Nobody's going to mess me around. Hey, Satan, paid my dues, playing in a rock band. Hey, Mama, look at me. I'm on the way to the promised land. Whoa. Don't stop me now. I'm on a highway to hell. Yeah, of course, it sounds cooler when they play it, but I wasn't into ACDC when I was in high school and in college, but one thing I did appreciate about that is at least it was honest. That lyric, if they were serious when they wrote it, breaks my heart, but at least, it makes, at least there's an honesty in it. I want to contrast that lyric and that whole attitude with the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 7, 13. Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's not a scripture you hear from a pulpit a lot because it's a hard scripture, but it's in the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, and Jesus spoke it. I want to speak on a topic this morning that's pretty heavy. Mike specifically asked me, and I've been praying, and it's been on my heart, and I want you to be able to hear me this morning without condemnation, but in love. And what I want to talk about, I want to come at it at a bit of a strange way this morning, strange approach for a Bible preacher. Today, I want to talk about three ways not to be saved, okay? So... I don't know what you're doing. I'm sure what you do with notes afterwards on three ways not to be saved, but I hope this is helpful this morning. Um, the first way not to be saved. Trust in the crowd to keep you headed in the right direction. Trust in the crowd to keep you headed in the right direction. How many of you know in the New Testament, in the Bible, there's lots and lots of information about the crowds? 
If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to uh, the end of John 2. We're going to get to John 3, but there's some important information just before John 3 starts. Here's what was taking place. It was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he hit the field running and with a bang. His first miracle at the, at the wedding in Cana, and the right, the next thing he does is he goes and overturns all the tables in the temple, kicks out all the money changers, basically what had become a, a religious money laundering system. You know, he upends everything in upheaval. And you can imagine how upset all the religious leaders and all the people that had an investment in skimming off the money from the, the worshipers that came to Jerusalem. Very, very challenging start. But the people loved him for it. And in verse 23, at the end of 2, it says this, Now when he, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. So initially, Jesus does this amazing ministry. He starts to do these miracles, and, and the, the common people love him. The religious leaders hate him because he's upsetting the apple cart, but the common people love him. And you think this would be a situation where Jesus would be pretty stoked, right? Hey, the crowds are coming to me, like I'm gaining notoriety, there's visibility, I love what's going on, this is a big wave, a big rush of, of God's kingdom come to earth. Surprising what Jesus' response is, look in verse 24. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The crowds were rushing and surging, and it looked like a whole big movement was taking place. But Jesus wasn't buying it because he understood the fickleness of the crowds. So many times in the Bible, the crowds are wrong. And if you're trusting in the crowd to keep you headed in the right direction, you're headed for trouble. Look a couple chapters later in chapter 6. Lots of illustrations of this, but in chapter 6, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, an amazing miracle with some little guy's lunch. An amazing kind of work. Um, and in verse 15, after that, after these crowds saw what took place, 5,000 at least, maybe 10 to 15,000 people altogether, verse 15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Once again, the crowd is riled up, they're pumped, let's just make this guy king. And yet Jesus doesn't receive it. He actually slips away into, into the mountains to not be a part of that. Because so many times, the crowd is wrong. And in this situation, their time was definitely wrong. Look how quickly the, ch the crowd changes. Even in this chapter, chapter 6 is a big chapter. There's a lot going on. But he talks about being the bread of life after feeding that group. There's a spiritual picture of man in the Old Testament. He goes through in the middle part of the chapter. And then toward the end of the chapter, he talks about some hard words. The people that are all excited about the Jesus movement and getting on the Jesus train. He says this, no one could come to the Father unless he draws him. He goes on and says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's pretty hectic words. The visual picture, eat flesh, drink my blood. I mean, people are getting grossed out. This is hard words from Jesus. He's not literally talking about doing that, but he's talking about the level of intimacy and the level of connection that has to take place for true salvation in this passage. And what did the crowds do? Did they say, oh, we so get it. We love you, Jesus. We just, we're, we're behind you. No. Look at verse 66. It's interesting that it's chapter 6, 66. Sorry, those came in later, but I just couldn't resist. 666. <laughs> we're back to ACDC, sorry. <laughs> After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
So you see the fickleness of the crowd. And if you have tied your salvation up or your Christian experience up into the crowd, staying in the middle of the pack, doing what everybody else seems to be doing, I just want you to know it's a key way not to be saved. This is not how it works in the basis of the crowd. And so many times the crowd is wrong. We live in a crowd culture. Increasingly, a a group-oriented crowd culture in the media and everything we're experiencing is, is strengthening that. Be careful about the crowd. The crowd is often wrong, and the crowd won't save you. Second way, not to be saved. Just add Jesus into your cart. This is popular thinking right now. I was over at uh, Five Bucks the other day and wandered into Chapters, which is next door there by the mall. And if you look in the self-help spiritual section, you didn't get the five bucks thing? Sorry. You're just so serious. Don't be so serious. There's all kinds of books in the self-help section, all kinds of crazy stuff, you know? Um, so just add Jesus into your cart. We're in John 6. We'll stay there for a minute. Look at what was taking place in John 6. Why do they say at the, at, in verse 15, let's make Jesus king? Was it, oh, we totally see who he is. He's the Messiah. This is the, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. No. You know what it was? They hated the Romans. They hated the Romans, had them under the thumb in every area, taxing them to death, no representation as Jews, and they hated these guys. And they thought, hey, here's a guy who can feed a whole army with a couple of fish. This guy could be king. Can you imagine how this would work? We wouldn't need supply trains and all this stuff. Plus, if somebody dies, he just brings it back to life. Bonus. You know, this could be our king. But they weren't looking for Jesus as king because on his terms, they were looking what they could get out of his kingship in that. Because this same crowd that said, make him king, only months later said what? Crucify him. So they were in it for what they could get. He talks about this meal that he provided. Went across the sea. I'll pick it up in uh, verse 22. Um, Oh, it's verse 25. They found him on the other side of the sea. The crowds followed Jesus and said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, meaning you recognize that I'm the God man, because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give him. They were thinking, hey, this is great. Let's get on the Jesus train. No more worrying about, you know, groceries. Jesus can provide this. And that's that attitude that comes with just adding Jesus into your cart. This is probably the most prevalent mistake I see or deception that I see in our culture right now is this just add Jesus in. I'll give you an illustration visually how this works. Don't ask where I got this, okay? (laughs) I'll tell you the story another time. (laughs) so it's like you know in the 21st century we've got this cart and we're cruising along in life and it's like oh yoga that would be a good experience i could you know it's a little stretching and i'll have a little bit of yoga you know and you go through put that in your cart and then you say oh a raw foods diet that's so brilliant i totally get that i'll just be i'll be cleansed or whatever happens with raw foods (laughs) obviously i'm not that guy but you know I'll, i'll put that in I mean, I like barbecuing, but I'll put that in my, in my cart, right? You know? So let me go through a little, a little farther, you know, and, oh, I've always wanted to speak Italian. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd, some Italian would be Italian lessons, you know? And we go through and, and take Italian. Oh, oh, jujitsu. That sounds so good. I, you know, let's have a little, sorry. Where's, 
Where's jujitsu? I don't even know what jujitsu is, but I see the sign. Little jujitsu in my cart, right? So we have all this stuff in our life that we've put together to kind of make our collective life. And then we come across and say, Jesus, perfect. Let's have a little bit of Jesus too. And we put him in there. What I want you to see is salvation does not come from adding Jesus into your cart. It's a radical transformation. It's a whole different way of thinking about it. Jesus is not something we add into the mix. He's someone who comes and brings death to everything we stand for, everything in our past, and brings new life. It's a radical transformation. Don't buy the lie. You can just add Jesus into your shopping cart. Third way not to be saved. Do your best and hope it all works out okay. (laughs) This is pretty popular still. Back to John chapter 3 now. We came out of 2. We talked about some of the crowds. In John chapter 3, Jesus meets one-on-one with a guy, with Nicodemus. A religious leader in verse 3.1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Everything that this guy stood for, Nicodemus stood for, would be do your best and hope it all works out okay. He was the pinnacle of the religious system that Judaism had gone wrong over centuries where you have a list of things and a checklist and you do these things and if you do them perfectly, you're acceptable by God and you go to heaven. And the rest of the world, the working class people, look at these professionals who got paid to be good and thought, I can never, ever be good. Good enough for that. Because these guys have robes, and they have education, and they sit at fancy places in the marketplace, and they come to our weddings, and we give them good spots. That's what, what the, the view of how do you get right with God was when Jesus blew into the scene. But what you've got to know is the Bible completely stands against that attitude, which is really a lie that says, just do your best and hope it works out okay. What did Jesus say to that guy who'd lived his whole life with that motto, working that way? Nicodemus is trying to be kind of nice. Jesus answers a completely different question. Jesus said, truly, truly, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus goes in tilt mode. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. I'm not talking about that. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, meaning the, the cleansing and renewing work of what God does through the Holy Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So it's not about your activity. It's not about the things you're doing, Nicodemus. It's about who God is and what he wants to do in your life. Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's a great uh, quote. It's one of the guys that I was reading in the commentaries. He said, there's no evolution from flesh to spirit. You understand what he meant by that? You can't start in the flesh by doing things, good things, no matter how good they are, and multiply them into the spiritual realm. They're two different realms. They just don't, you'll never get there in the fleshly realm to get good enough to be acceptable to God. And this man figured he was there. Matter of fact, he was a pro. Jesus says, you must be born again. And six, that which is born of flesh, that which is, he brings flesh, and that which is born of the spirit brings the spirit. Jesus goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit and the mystery of our salvation and God working. He says, don't marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. I feel it coming through the room here. 
literally and figuratively. Yeah, come Holy Spirit. Blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is trying to help this religious professional say, you can't do this on your own. You cannot be saved by just doing your best and hoping it works out okay. I call this the scales approach. I can't tell you how many people I've run into get talking to them about eternal things. How's it going to work out when you die? Well, it's kind of like a scale. They'll say, you know, I, I did some bad stuff, but I did some good stuff, and there's the, more, the good stuff is more, and it'll kind of balance out, and when I get to the pretty baits, God will say, oh, yeah, well, you're mostly on the good side. Come in. That's such a lie from the enemy. There's nothing you'll find in the Scripture that talks about how you get to heaven on that basis. You've been deceived. You've missed the exit if you bought into that. All three of these things are a significant, significant deception that's been brought, and many people are living that. See, I would say all of these things could be just put under the category of what I'm starting to call churchianity. And uh, I don't know if that's made up or not, but what I want you to know today in the seriousness in, in the midst of my goofing around today is this, and is that churchianity won't save you. What I mean by churchianity, it's what's happening here apart from God. If God is out of the picture and what's taking place, that's just churchianity. I love this church, man. We've been part of Oceanside. We've centered our life around this church, as many of you have, for at least a dozen years. I love Oceanside. But I want you to, to be careful not to get caught up in churchianity and miss the exit. The true exit, which is a small exit, which is an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you can do that. You can be part of the crowd. You can love coming to Sunday and, oh man, it's just so great. And I go to a connect group and I play volleyball and it's just such a fun church. And you're right in the middle of the crowd and wherever the crowd goes, you go. I want you to know, as fun as that is and as religious as it looks, it's not salvation. Because churchianity won't save you. Being in the crowd doesn't save you. If I sleep in the garage, I'm not a car. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? You can come here and sit in the middle of this crowd and raise your hands and do your amens and put your thing in the plate. That's churchianity apart from God. God will not bring you to heaven based on that. Be careful about churchianity. It's not about the crowd. What about the cart thing? Oh, yeah, I love Oceanside. It's great music, and I love to go there, and I can, you know, get, get what God wants from me, and I'm just so good. And I love our church. It's what I call a flip-flop culture. You know what I mean by that? You can come to church in your flip-flops and in your, in your you know, shorts off, right off the beach, and you're accepted in this church. And I'm so glad to be part of a church like that. I've been part of churches where if you didn't have a tie on, you didn't get to the door, you know? I love that our church is casual. I love you get to have coffee and, oh, let's just sit down and have coffee and talk with our friends. This is a good thing. But be careful that it's not just something you're putting into your cart. Because churchianity won't save you. As fun as this is, as good as it is for you, oh, I just love my connect group. They pray for me and they meet my needs and brought food when I was sick. Good. Those are God things. But that's not salvation. That's churchianity apart from God. And if you're here today, I just want to challenge you as lovingly as I can to say, if you've just put Jesus as one thing in your cart, you are still on the highway and you've missed the exit. 
this is a great place to be involved. There's lots of ministries. There's lots of things we can do. You can help in children's, and there's so many things to do. And, and I see many times people come into the church, and they're just checking it out, and they start to get involved, and they start to do things. And those are good things, but those activities don't save you. Those things that you do for service, helping with this ministry and feeding these folks and helping out with Crisis Pregnancy Center, all good things, all God things that want you to be involved in, but they're not salvation. Because apart from Christ, they're just churchianity. You see where I'm getting today? It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a crowd, not an activity, not a merit badge personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I think Nicodemus got that. We don't have time to look at the rest of the chapter, but you read on. We don't know right so for sure in this chapter, but a couple places in Scripture he shows back again, and he's risking his life for Jesus. He's putting his career on the line for Jesus. I think Nicodemus got this. I think he turned his back on churchianity, if you want to call it a religion, and had a genuine conversion with Jesus. John chapter 6, where we were earlier, what happened when all the crowds went away? Jesus looked at his 12, to the 12 around him. He said, are you headed out the door too? <laughs> Peter, bless his heart, where are we going to go? You are the living God, the son of the living God. He understood. He had a personal revelation, a personal relationship with Jesus that had nothing to do with the crowds, had nothing to do with his personal success, had nothing to do with what he could get from Jesus. He knew that Jesus was God and the only way to heaven. That's the narrow gate. I don't want you to miss it. Hear my shepherd's heart. You may have received churchianity into your heart, but you might have missed Jesus. What's needed? Nothing short of a supernatural transformation. That's what salvation is. The old has gone, the new has come. You are literally a new creation in Christ. And if you're wondering about that, if you're in the crowd, if you're here with the cart, you know, if you're doing good things to get the stickers on the wall, I just beg you, don't do that anymore. I'm going to give you a space to receive Jesus one-on-one you, you and him this morning. We put these brochures on on the seats for you to take home. Read through those. And we agonized over the thing for six months. We wrote that. It's the best we can do to say, what's the real thing? What's the real deal? How do you really know Jesus? Apart from the culture and the shopping carts and the music and the flip-flops, apart from all those things, what's Jesus? I invite our worship team to come back up. We're going to give some time of reflection this morning. And I just want to challenge you as lovingly as I can. If you are still on the highway to hell, even though you might not look like you're in a rock band, there may be a lot of churchianity in your life, please come to Jesus. Come to Jesus this morning and get this thing settled. We sang a song, I am a child of God today. Be careful to know that that's true of who you are when you sing that. Just because you have the trappings of churchianity, know that you have Jesus because that's the only thing that matters. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to invite you to come forward. A lot of times when people come forward in our church, we pray with them. We might do that, but I want you to have time with Jesus. Just to be honest with him. Maybe this shopping cart hit you and you realize, that's me. 
come and pour your heart out to Jesus. Just ask him for forgiveness. He wants to have a relationship, a loving relationship with you. Let go of the crowd. Let go of the shopping cart. Receive Jesus. Should all the stand together? I just invite you to come down. Spend some time with the Lord here. Confess to Him. If this is you, make this thing right today. Settle this thing today. Get rid of churchianity and get Jesus this morning. Come now. Thank you, Lord. Outstanding, Mark. You know, Jesus didn't die for a religion. God sent His Son, and in John 3.16, just in that same chapter, so I want to read this to you, because God creates a way. In John 14.6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man will come to the Father but by me. And people have taken that to say, well, Christianity is exclusive. We'll see in John 3.16, that's not true. But as I've said before, If there was a fire in this place and that was the only exit, we could all run through that exit. We couldn't say, well, there's only one exit. I'm not taking it. And Jesus, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, drew a line in the sand. And I struggled with that for years um, before I got saved. My wife got saved two years before me, wondering what that was all about. But what it is, he's the exit, as Mark said. And anyone can walk through that door. Because Jesus didn't simply die for our sin. If he did, the best thing he could have done was once we accepted him, was take us home right away before we messed up again. Jesus died so that we could have a relationship broken by sin, restored with our Father. That's why he died. Because God loved us. And God cares for us. And one day I came to that realization after all of this stuff and seeing the change in my wife's life that I needed that myself. And that was 34 years ago, and I've served him ever since. And in that same chapter, and I wonder if you could just bow your head. If you're ever wondering how much God loves you, I want to tell you through the scripture that the value he placed on your life and on your salvation was the price of his son. I could think of giving a lot of things to help people out. And if I was really generous, maybe a car or a house. But I could never think of loving somebody else so much that I'd prepare to have my own son die for for them. I can't imagine the pain that the father felt when he sent his son because he knew that Jesus was that bridge back to him. And in John 3.16, as Jesus has been sharing on being born again, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, writes this, For God so loved the world, The world is full of people. What are you saying? God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son 
that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish, but live eternally with his Father. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And today God is offering you that opportunity to come as we worship. We'd love to pray. I remember doing this one day. I was shaking in my boots. I thought people would be embarrassed by that or I was embarrassed. But you know, when I, when I came forward, it was such a freedom, such a weight of trying to earn my Father's love. You see, the love of God is never achieved or earned. It's only received through Jesus Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. Uh, Holy Spirit, I know that you love each and single one here. Lord Jesus, that you died for them. To restore relationship with their dad. Religion does not bring relationship. Jesus does. And so, Lord, we choose to worship you. Wonderful. If you'd like prayer, either for salvation, or you can take the book home and read it, pray. Or if you need prayer for healing, you've heard of people being healed, God heals. Or just need somebody to stand next to you in prayer, we'd love to do that. But let's thank our Lord Jesus Christ for what He did. And don't be afraid to come forward.